Wait a second. You eat cardboard. Dress in park and stuff. <laughs> strange. A little strange. Okay, now you said something before about you people. Now, what were you talking about here? Just what are you? Not tell. Oh, not tell, huh? You. Not tell. Oh, me not tell. You mean I like, keep a secret? Spit. Spit on word. It's very attractive. Spit. Look, hygienically, this is a bad idea. I gotta tell you that. Hello, listening gnomes. I am one of your hosts of Spin Posh Presents, Ryan Slowinski, but I'm not alone for this one, am I? Am I Bartek? Are you there? <coughs> no, you're, you're not alone, Grian. <laughs> we mixed it up for this intro, my little gnomes. So we're Spin Polish. So, listening people, yeah. yeah. yeah you so- have to understand, before we say... You know, hello, listening people every week. We have a long period of silence where I, you know, get into the game. I, I prepare. <laughs> you into the game, yeah. <laughs> and and uh, I've been gotten. Yeah, you've been got. You've been got good. So why we're laughing so hard is because we are both Polish. And <laughs> sorry, sorry. We, yeah. we are both Polish, and we always happen to be spitting and having some laughs. And we are doing our show Pictures Powwow, in which we talk about a movie that has come recommended. Obviously, I'm Gorion, and that's Gorbartek. And uh, we are going to be talking about this as best as one can, because unfortunately, we're separated again, Bartek. You're in the up world, and mm-hmm. I'm in the down world. I'm yep. in the Gnome world. We're separated again. We're still in lockdown, so... I would have loved to have seen your face here as we talk about the film that was recommended, which was, which title, which title do you want to go with, Bartek? Um, which one? Well, um, I think it will just answer your question to re-emphasize that I'm Gabartek. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. So the film that got recommended by uh, you, our gnomes, was a film called Upworld, or its alternate title is. A gnomed named Norm, but Norm with a G in front of it, and as we learn in this in this feature film, yes, a feature film, um, the G is not silent in Gnome or Norm. Um, so until Anthony Michael Hall says so. Until he yells it and says, no, we're going to not do that. <laughs> and then the gag dies. Immediately <laughs> dies. <laughs> dies on impact, yeah. So Bartek... Um, could you give the listening gnomes the usual kind of things that we say around this period of the show about the movie and all of that? Um, I think we usually go into our history, but yes, this is a 1990, I think, film. Yeah. I think the trivia said it was filmed in 88, and for some reason they just couldn't release it for a while. (laughs) Um, must have been too good. Uh, this film is from that era, um, so it's an 80s film right at the turn of the decade, um, and I, yeah, what do we usually say at this point? I thought we just go into our history. Well, if people have not seen this film, you should oh, right. watch the movie. It is available yes. somewhere for you to watch. I don't know where. <laughs> In a yeah, sewer. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so go to In your nearest police station and demand that Jerry Orbach gives you the gnome, named Norm. And you may watch it, because we are going to be talking about spoilers about this film that has a very intricate plot. It has fantasy lore, and if you want to really dig into Upworld, then you should watch it yourself, because we're going to be talking about it. So, Bartek, you are saying it's from the late 80s, 90s. Uh, do you remember who the director of this is? Uh... The name was Sam, I think. No, Stan no. Winston. Stan, famous, famous uh, prop guy. You know, did Jurassic Park, and he did our film that we did a while back, Pumpkinhead. So yeah, we're that's revisiting right. Stan Winston's filmography in terms of direction. Usually, he is a behind-the-scenes guy in other ways. Usually, he does the props and uh, practical effects for things. He's one of, if not the biggest legends of the film industry for that. Uh, So, Stan Winston's Upworld, 
And that's also makes sense because this movie is a heavily prop-based movie where our le- one of our leading characters is a puppet creature. Um, mm-hmm. No, not Anthony Michael Hall, but he does look like one, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he looks cool with his backwards cap. So, Bartek, history with a gnome named Gnorm. Um, This is not a film that I have heard of. Uh, in fact, when you told me the title last week, my mind immediately went to all those like relatively modern, like animated gnome films. I thought this was going to be one of those. I completely missed the part where you said 1990 because those tend to be like 2000s, 2010s things. Mm. Um, and even when I was looking this up on Netflix, which it wasn't on there, uh, the very first recommendation was a film called like Gnome Alone. Yeah, a film classic. So, yeah, so I just thought, like, oh, Gnome, that seems to be, like, a kind of funny thing that's in kids' films, so that's probably what it's going to be. And then literally, like, two or three nights ago, I looked up the poster, and I'm like, oh, this is a live-action film with people in it. Standing back-to-back on the cover. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a buddy cop film. Yes. So I have heard of this movie before mm-hmm. um, because I am a loser that looks up movies with actors in them, and I'm like, ooh, I like this actor. What other movies have they done? Mm-hmm. And I like the lead actress, Claudia Christian, from the television series Babylon 5. Mm-hmm. And this was right before Babylon 5, and so I knew of it because of that, but I have not seen it before, but I had learned about it and learned that it was infamously bad. Um, oh, it's actually got the word famous in it. Infamous. Yes. 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 Yes, indeed. So it's so it's a known film. It's a gnome film, yes. It's a known film. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna be doing a lot of that for this, aren't we? Yeah. So I knew it was coming as soon as I said known. <laughs> so I have um not seen this before, but I was aware of it, but I wasn't fully aware of what I was going to be getting into. Like, I knew, but I didn't know until I got in there and dug around and saw it for myself. (laughs) So, I watched this this morning, in the morning, and my first thoughts, here's my first thoughts of this movie, Mm -hmm. is I felt like I was you, Bartek, in terms of you have complained many a times over the years about certain films being too visually dark for you to comprehend things that are happening. And I look mm-hmm. at and I and I react to you like, what are you talking about? It looked great on my TV while you're watching it on your little computer screen in comparison. I watched this on my big TV screen. It was a miserable grey day, so everything was dark anyway. I didn't have any lights on. And the first half hour of this movie, I could not tell what I was fucking looking at because it was at night for a good portion of it. And if not, it was dimly lit and I could not tell what I was fucking looking at. So a bunch of the introduction of this movie was completely lost on me because I was trying to focus on what was visually happening, that I was missing things that were being told to me through the dialogue. So there may be things in our discussion of me asking you what the fuck this is because I was distracted by trying to figure out what I was fucking looking at, let alone what (laughs) I was hearing. So Let alone. Let a gnome. So, what was your kind of journey with this film? Um, definitely had a similar thing early on, especially in the park scene and the fight scene that uh, Norm and our main character have at his house. Um, but overall, I think after that point, I didn't really worry about it. In a very general sense with this film, I found it kind of nostalgic for our unappreciated masterpieces era, because this feels mm. exactly like the type of film we would have watched on that. And I think even as I was watching this, I was thinking of like, oh, what are some things I would say about this film in unappreciated masterpieces and just like having a little giggle to myself with that. Um, mm. But in terms of what the film literally is, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, how do I put it? Um, embarrassing. Embarrassing. I, I could see, I could see the decisions being made and, not to bring up unappreciated masterpieces again, I was thinking of 
one of your very first podcasting catchphrases of somebody wrote this a lot. <laughs> somebody wrote this. Yeah, somebody sat down and wrote this. Somebody yep. sat down and wrote, strip him. Strip him. <laughs> somebody, somebody wrote this character. Somebody wrote this scene. Somebody looked at the script and said, finance it, please. <laughs> yes. So I agree. This film also has the benefit of, for us being people who have podcasted for a numerous amount of years, meaning we've covered hundreds of movies at this point, which is a bizarre concept to actually say out loud, but we have covered yeah. hundreds of movies. This movie felt like an epicenter for, for me because it had a director we've already covered the works of before with Stan Winston. We had a lead actress who we've also who I like from a TV show that I've grown up with and one that you've just started. And we've seen her in uh, Meteor Apocalypse, a movie we covered. Do you remember that? She was the wife, and my main complaint was I thought she was going to be in the movie. Yeah, it's coming back to me now. I know that with the mystery box, one of the running jokes there, it it has been a while since we've done it, but like, oh, this person was in Babylon 5, so that was one of the earlier ones, I'd assume. So so that's come back around. We Mm -hmm. have Anthony Michael Hall, who was in War Machine, I'm pretty sure. The Brad Pitt he, movie. Well, he was also in uh, Freddy Got Fingered. Of course. How could I forget? He was brilliant in that movie. And we, we, we have a, a smattering of other things. Like, this is a weird kids movie in which it's like, who's this movie made for, though? Because it's clearly too mature for children. And mm. the plot is too, like, bizarre for a child to engage with. But it's not appealing to adults either. So it was a perfect, you know, and of course we have Jerry Orbach returning from his great days of facing off against Dolly Parton. You know, mm. remember that? In Straight Talk? In Straight Talk. So we ha- we have a concoction with this movie of many a things that we've been familiar with, whether they be people or tonal things or genre. So it did feel like I was I was comfortable and I was at home with this movie. Oh yeah, and, and it's it's also a buddy cop film with Robert Zadar in it. Oh yes, and Zadar is here. Yes, from uh, Tango and Cash, and let's never we we haven't covered it, but let's not forget Samurai Cop. Samurai Cop. Yep. Okay, that's my first fucking note. I I messaged this to you and you didn't reply, but my first fucking note is... It's the exact same for me. They have an actor called Robert Zadar, and the lead antagonist is is called Zadar, but he's played by a different actor who's in fact the lead boss evil man, and his henchman is Robert Zadar, but he... But Robert Zadar doesn't play Zadar. (laughs) He plays Reggie. He plays Reggie. He has to be in scenes where they call the other guy Zadar in front of his fucking yeah. big chin. <laughs> when they <laughs> when they first mentioned the name Zadar, I'm like, oh, is Robert Zadar like just going by his name in this? That's interesting. No, it's nothing. <laughs> that that threw me. That threw me more than the fucking gnome at the beginning. That threw me for a fucking loop. I was so like, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this? I kept saying that. Why are they doing this? And there's no answer for it. And here's an even bigger thing. Why the fuck is Robert Zadar in this movie to begin with? His character is purposeless. Yeah, I didn't think his ending was the ending of his time in the film. By the logic of the movie, he is dead, by the way. We never see him again. And where he's left off is he's been fatally injured and left to freeze to death in an abandoned area. So the film doesn't clarify and this is a film where they do literally kill people again who's this for when you watch this you obviously didn't know anything about it so when you said that you looked up and you saw the buddy cop thing that must have put something in your brain right yeah the yeah the poster of like oh anthony michael hall standing there back to back with this little gnome (laughs) buddy cop so what was this movie like for you watching it um well, like I said, it, it was this kind of thing of, like, when things were happening, like, you know, these Hollywood cliches, I was seeing, like, the writers putting it down, being like, oh, okay, at this point in the film, you know, they're they're not getting along, and then they're going to have moments where, you know, one kind of breaks down in front of the other, and they start to, like, find meaning, 
with each other. So it, it was very much just going through a lot of those motions and being like, oh, yep, yep, I see where this is going. Um, and then you just have like, you know, the weird, bizarre things of somebody wrote this that we wouldn't be expecting that just kind of throws you for a loop. Um, so in a way, it was this kind of somewhat cookie cutter film that would surprise you at times, I guess. Yeah, I I found myself bored until I wasn't. That's the mm. great way to describe it. I'm like, oh, this is boring, 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 tired, tired, tired. But then Norm, or good Norm, would bite the ass cheeks of the antagonist and then give him a reach around while doing so. <laughs> and then I'd be like, okay, you know what? You fucking got me. <laughs> Here's something I said. You know that phrase I used to use all the time, which is somebody wrote this. I kept writing in my notes, Stan Winston directed this. That's what I kept writing. Like, <laughs> Stan fucking Winston directed this. Like, like he already did Pumpkinhead by this point, a film yeah, that pumpkin- we've covered and we thought was fairly decent. Not perfect, but it had its... It's not this. That's the thing it isn't. It's not fucking a gnome named Gnorm. Yeah, it was it was the practice round for a gnome named Norm. It was a warm up. <laughs> yeah, it was a warm up. Okay, what is your relationship with Anthony Michael Hall as an actor? Um, I've seen him in some of those '80s films, The Breakfast Club, most particularly Sixteen um, Candles. I've seen Sixteen Candles, but only once forever ago, so I can't quite remember him. He, yeah, he was in that. Um, was he in Weird Science as well? Pretty sure. Yeah, I've seen those three films. Um, I've obviously seen Freddy Got Fingered. Um, I completely forgot that he was in War Machine, but basically, yeah, I, I still kind of think of him as like, oh yeah, he was that nerd from from uh, the Breakfast Club. But then I remember like, oh wait, he's actually like really tall and like doesn't really look like a nerd. So when he pops up, I, I kind of have like that kind of uh, dissonance in my head. What did you think of him in this film? Because this is him more as an, uh, as an adult. Like, he's still a young person. But we're familiar with him, film-wise, as, as a teen. Even mm. though we've seen Freddy Got Fingered and War Machine, because of his roles in iconic 80s movies, he's a teen in those. What was it like to see him in this as an adult? And what did you think of him as this type of character? Um, well, similar to what I was saying way back when we did the episode on Bedazzled, like we're at the beginning, that character is playing a little too into, you know, the, what he is in the status quo of the world. At the beginning of this film, this adult man, Anthony Michael Hall is playing into this very childlike police officer role with his like backwards Mm. cap and, you know, very informal attitude. And he's the kind of the joke of the station. Um, and then you you understand what that character is just by looking at that, even though it is kind of, you know, embarrassing. Um, but then once he meets Norm, he kind of has to play the straight man in a lot of the scenes. So it gives you this kind of dissonance again. he, he He's the master of mm. dissonance, it seems for me. He's my main complaint, oddly mm-hmm. enough. I thought he was terribly miscast. I am not that familiar with his work from the 80s. I have not seen 16 Candles, and I do not like Breakfast Club at all. I don't hate it, but I don't like it, and I don't re- really remember him in it, if I'm honest. I know he's in it. Mm-hmm. Don't don't at me, people. I know he's fucking in the movie. And I, I, I even forgot he was in Freddy Got Fingered and War Machine. It was only brought up because people would bring it up, like oh, that, like you or, or Rachel or someone and so forth would bring up, oh, that, that that's Anthony Michael Hall, and I was always treated, it was always treated like you know Anthony Michael Hall, and I'm like I don't, he means nothing to me. So the idea of him being this nebbish nerdy type didn't affect me when watching this because I'm not familiar with him being that type anyway. But what I did feel was miscast in this. I did not buy him as this smart aleck, quirky, um, renegade, rogue cop guy who's like a young guy. I didn't buy that for a second. Who I did buy was Claudia Christian as 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 the no-nonsense female partner. I bought Jerry Orbuck as the police chief who's corrupt. I bought the, 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 the was it, Kaminsky? Um... As the, the, the rival guy. The rival guy. I bought all of those people as the cops in the office in the station, did not buy Anthony Michael Hall. And one of the things that I didn't buy about him was he was never charming in any way to me. He was never, ever charismatic 
as this character. And that's something you need to have with these type of roles. We've spoke about this with uh, with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, for instance, in Brick. He's playing a noir detective type, and although his character's weird, he had a level of charisma about him in which you understood why people tolerated him, right? Mm-hmm. Even though he's playing a very quiet, subdued, weirdo role. Here, Anthony Michael Hall, there's no charisma to him for me to buy that he's this type of cop. All in, all the time when I was watching in my brain, whether these are the right actors to be cast in this time period or not, I kept thinking of, what would a young Robert Downey Jr. or a young Tom Cruise do with this role? That's what I kept thinking of. Mm-hmm. Anthony Michael Hall also, acting-wise, he has one mode. Do you do you know what the mode is? You watch the film. Do you want to guess? Um... You'd have to give me the word. Shouting. That's his mode. Shouting. He just shouts the whole time. He's just shouting all the time. That's that's all he does in the movie, is just scream and shout and yell. That's all he does. Like, for the first 45 minutes, I don't think... I, I think he barely has a line that isn't a, a raised voice, if I'm honest with you. I don't think so. I think maybe one or two, but most of the time he's yelling. Was he? He really was. He really, really was. Because, like, when he first walks in and, you know, like... With the backwards cap or whatever, and he and he and he, he yells his line out. He's like, "Hey, I'm here!" Blah 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 blah. And then when he, then when he's with Ganorm, all he's doing is fucking shouting because Ganorm is this freaky creature, and he's treating it like Ganorm doesn't understand English. Even though later when he does find out he does understand English, he still treats it like he's this foreign person that he has to yell his lines at. And that may also come down to the fact that he's acting against a puppet, mm, and he doesn't know yeah, how never to mention it. Yeah. A lot of his lines uh, are yelling, and here's how you can pinpoint this too. Jerry Orbach in the movie, he does yelling too, but it's punctuated by the fact that he wasn't shouting or yelling for a good majority of the time. So when he did, it's memorable. But you, I can understand you not having noticed, because he is at this one note, um, Anthony Michael Hall, for the whole movie, that once you're done, you, you had surrendered to it. Yeah, but you I, get used to it. But I assure you, if you, after this, go back and watch the first like 10 to 15 minutes of him in it, because it takes a little while for him to get in there, mm-hmm. he's yelling a lot. He's just shouting, yelling, and being loud. He's never, he, like, he's rarely quiet. And it's, an, it's a non-dynamic performance. And for this type of character, you really did need someone with a dynamic charisma and range and it just it wasn't anthony michael hall i'll tell you that yeah now that you mention all this whenever i think of characters talking about his character like various police officers and stuff it very much did feel like i was taking their word for it like the the state the chief would mention like oh you know i am fond of him he's a good guy but i can't do this and it was just like oh so what what do you like about him because there were some hints that he had a successful thing in the past and mm. they didn't really get into that or anything tell me this why mm-hmm. is Cl- why is claudia christian into him other than the film says so what does she like about him and why does she kiss him at the end yeah that's, that's another one of those things of like oh the, these characters know who this character is and they're trying to communicate it but we're just not getting it we're not getting the specifics of it and like you said it takes him a little while to enter the film mm. it is at least mm. like i think five minutes five to seven minutes yeah we, we're being introduced to characters in that time and it does really feel like okay we, we're getting to know these characters they're going to be important main characters especially her like you know she's yeah. his partner in this buddy cop film we're learning about her before we ever see this guy and then for the rest of the film she's just oh you told me this thing but i don't see this thing you're talking about until the end where Everyone just knows about Norm, and it moves on from that. And here's the thing with a buddy cop dynamic, and we've we've talked about this, where Tango and Cash fell down this exact same problem. What does Norm offer as a difference to uh, to Anthony Michael Hall? Because both of them are morally degenerate people, mm-hmm. right? While Lethal Weapon, 
You have Mel Gibson's this crazy renegade who's like willing to go crazy and break the rules. Well, Danny Glover's an old cop who's who's sick and tired of it, but he's a pro. Like he's an he's an older cop who who goes by the books for the most part, right? There's the dynamic already there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, this it's like Anthony Michael Hall is a smart Alec who hits on every who hits on every female he comes across and is lazy, while. Norm is a lying prick who's a pervert. They don't really offer anything to one another in in these dynamics. Like, what does Norm teach Anthony Michael Hall? He teaches him that he is a giant and he is good size. There you go. That's it. No, he teaches him you got to kiss her. He's that's it. You you just got to force yourself onto women more. That's it. That's all Norm really offers. He he, he offers his style because we know that Norm is very stylish in this film. Oh 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 yeah yeah, and he makes you go to sleep easily. Yes, and all his friends call him the lowrider. Okay, real talk now. We're the Contrarians podcast. We've left the Contrarians <laughs> corner. Now we're in real talk. The mm-hmm. puppet. What did you think? <laughs> <laughs> Remember. This is by the the best prop guy in the fucking biz. Even now, even now, he's still considered the best. What do you mm-hmm. think? Uh, <laughs> um, I liked that it always seemed to be kind of smiling or smug. <laughs> even when it was sad, it still kind of looked like that. Like obviously, the body language of the puppet kind of worked against that, but that face just <laughs> makes me laugh and. I know we're talking about the puppet, but the very, very ending of this film, just before the credits hit, was the bit. That was the laugh of the film for me. The fact that it zoomed in on that face (laughs) and faded to black. (laughs) I'll give you. I'll give you that. It was almost as good as the cutting class freeze frame at the end. Where he's like, "I hope you haven't been cutting class," and then it zooms in on Michael Martin Mull's face. That one was more witty, yeah. This one had a puppet. <laughs> and more expected, too, in cutting class for that type mm-hmm. of movie. Okay, okay. The puppet's hideous. I hated looking at it. <laughs> Every time he spoke, his his face would crumple in weird directions <laughs> because the hand is inside of it. I really did not want to see it naked, but apparently Stan Winston said you should see its butt at the back of its sack. So, thanks, Stan? Yeah, I think, and Sam, look, I think you kind of messed up. I think you were trying to go for like an erection joke, but you need some sort of visual to indicate that. Boy, it was a hideous thing. And here's the thing. Did it even, did it even need to be a puppet? Did it? Did this film benefit uh, from this being a puppet? Do you think Sam Winston would have it any other way? I think Stan Winston would not have it any other way. I think he needs it to be a puppet. While I think the film needed to it for it to be a little person with makeup on, the Leprechaun movies have shown that that is successful and mm-hmm. easy. And oh, the he, uh, child, yeah, lepre- Leprechaun, that's right, yep. With, uh, with, um... I'm forgetting the Warwick actors. Warwick Davis? Yeah, Warwick it? Davis. Yeah, yeah. See, and, and those are successful movies. Like, how many of those are there? I, I, I honestly think that this film may have benefited from that more because it's a hideous puppet, and you never not think it's a puppet. You never stop thinking about it being a puppet, while in movies like Labyrinth or even Dark Crystal... Yeah, you're aware that they're puppets, but you're bought into the story and the world where you don't give a shit that David Bowie is singing to a bunch of puppets, right? You don't care, Mm. you're bought in, but I constantly kept thinking about that this is a puppet, meaning I was never bought into the scenario. I was always taken out. Do you think it might have been because of the eye design? Because the eyes are kind of very humanistic and the fact that they're not really all that animated or... And the face. Change all that. And the face, yeah, but... When I think of, I, I haven't seen Labyrinth or anything, but I think I have seen footage of it. And weren't a lot of the puppets like just kind of had like darkish, you know, darkness around where their eyes were, so you don't really see that. Yeah, but also, it's the tone, I guess, too, because also in this movie, like he throws the puppet around all the time, and it's just like a ragdoll puppet. Oh yeah, yeah, there were very limp moments. 
and the way that the camera frames things. It's just, I just kept thinking, this doesn't need to be a puppet. Also, it's hideous to look at. And also, 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 I'm sorry, I've got to say it. It's a gnome. And yet, at no point did I ever remember that it's a gnome. Even though I know it's the movie, and the movie says it. I look at him, and I don't think gnome. Like... Do you think the movie should have made him look like the traditional gnomes that we are familiar with? Or are you familiar with this type of gnome? Um, I th- Maybe they should have just given it another name. Like, it's already a fantasy, you know, film. You can give it another name. Like, the fact that his occupation was Tunneler made sense. But they, they have to just... have the gnome joke. The film was written around that one joke. Yeah, the fact that three of the four words in the title have an N sound in it, except when the film's called Upworld. <laughs> okay, let's talk about comedy writing 101. Mm-hmm. When they did the, actually, it's Gnome and my name is Gnome, and then he said a few other things with the G in front of it, I I had two strong reactions. One of them was, oh no, please no. No, no, no. I grew up in the era of Jar Jar Binks. I don't need some fucking annoying verbal tick from a character. Right? I don't know if you had mm-hmm. that reaction at all, but I did. Um, and the second was, I was infuriated that they actually stomped that joke into the ground before it even got started. Because I'm like, well, what was even the point of introducing it? They did They did nothing with it. They could have made this into, like, an Abbott and Costello bit between the two of them, but they immediately Anthony Michael Hall just shouts it down, and then that's the end of it. That was my reactions to it. What about you? Um, I don't really have much of an aversion to, like, verbal tics and stuff like that, but when the film, you know, did kind of just stomp it into the ground and said, no, we're not doing that, you know, I, I kind of was like, all right, yeah, sure, fine, do whatever you want. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it wasn't like a huge laugh or anything like that for me, but it was like, oh, okay. They, I thought they would be doing that, but they're not. What was what was some of the other big laugh out loud moments, and were they from any intentional jokes? I've already told you my big laugh out loud moment. I, I don't really think I had all that many, other than like, you know, the the little someone wrote this stuff. Okay, okay. Which, so if we if we were going to get into that, the beach scene was the big one. So, I had a few laugh-out-loud moments. My most genuine one that the film intended was the uh, mid-credits stinger joke in which we come back to the dickhead detective in the office, and he's been still waiting there because they set up in the third act that Claudia Christian's character was going to be seductive towards him to bide some time, and she told him to wait there for her, and then she went on the the fun hijinks, and he was left waiting there, and I did like, we cut back to him in the credits, and it's like later in the night, and the cleaning woman's there, and he's eaten all of his candies that he's been eating throughout the movie, and all the wrappers Mm -hmm. are on the ground, and the cleaning woman comes along and sweeps them up. I I thought that was genuinely good. I definitely thought that that was going to be paid off in that kind of way, and uh, to its credit, even though I was expecting it, I did like all the little touches of like the cleaning lady and it being in the middle of the night. Uh, it was good. Yeah. But it I, was right after my big laugh, so yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I just didn't expect it because, again, the film just ended on the lamest like, thumbs-up freeze-frame bullshit, so I didn't expect that the film And cared. zoom in, and zoom in. And the zoom, and the zoom. Back and to the left. So yeah, I I had that. I, I, I had a genuine enjoyment out of uh, Jerry Orbach's character throughout the whole movie. He made me laugh quite a lot, whether it was intentional or not. Just, I really like the bit in which Anthony Michael Hall is getting the suitcase from underneath the, um... What's that thing called again? The the spinny thing, um, in the park. Carousel. The little carousel thing, I guess. And and, and Jerry Orbach just crushes his hand and makes the remark about you called me an old blah blah blah. Well, who fuck you? Basically, just like beats the shit out of him. <laughs> it just amused me so much that Jerry Orbach was like this physical threat that they had to overcome. <laughs> yeah. It's like oh yeah, no, it- we can't handle Jerry Orbach's physical strength. Yeah, we've taken care of Zadar and Zadar, but not this guy. 
Yeah, yeah. Robert Zadar in a previous movie we've covered could beat up Stallone and Kurt Russell, but in this he cannot. He can't even handle a fucking gnome. So- <laughs> well, he was he was welcoming the piggyback ride though. Oh, that was a genuine gag too that I really loved. Is that Robert <laughs> Zadar's character had an infatuation for children, and, and that led to his demise. That was like a, such a weird beat, and what made it funny was how forced it was in the script. Like, they needed to get to the things that they wanted, so they just made that happen, and it was very amusing to me. Just Robert <laughs> Zadar genuinely acting like he loves this deformed creature in front of him was, was actually endearing to me, and I kind of wish that he was the lead of the movie. <laughs> yeah, it was it was a really cute moment. It's stupid, but cute. Um, <laughs> another moment that made me laugh, but out of pure shock, was when Anthony Michael Hall was racist for a whole scene by going ching-chong-ching-chong at a Chinese person for a whole scene. That was very impressive. I wasn't expecting that. Um, you remember that moment? There was something like that, wasn't there? When he what was the context? meets Robert Zadar in the place where they have oh, yeah. the thing, and it's owned by this Asian store owner, and he goes like, Chan, blah, 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 I just talked to your brother Ching and his brother Chong, and then just went on and on. And I said, oh no, racism, the last thing I was expecting. That was before we got the strip scene. Um, so little did I know that the boundaries were yet to be broken. Yeah, it was such a, like, almost purposeless use of racism, too, because I get the joke, it was like, oh, I'm going to pretend that I am meant to be here and to cut in. Oh, you're here, let's talk. But, yeah, I don't know, he could have he complained about his meat or something, whatever it was. I thought the big uh, genuine gag that I thought you would have mentioned is the, the dead body joke that they did, where he was driving the hearse, mm-hmm. and he crashes the hearse, and then there's a like standard by who's like trying to revive the corpse because he doesn't know and yeah. he's like doing CPR on it <laughs> fairly dark humor for what is a kids movie mm, yeah it was it was a funny but very little moment i suppose yeah the, the fact that he completely responded to that without dialogue you know that kind of was all right yeah i mean I've rarely seen intense car chase scenes in which our hero is driving a hearse with a dead body in it. I haven't seen a moment like that since Ford Fairlane, so that was interesting. That was, like, something that they actually, like, that was one of the things where there was a comedic build-up to it, where, like, yeah, he's stealing this car, but, oh, he didn't realize that the guy really didn't want him to steal the car because he had a fucking corpse in the back, and, oh, it's a hearse, and it's, like, a Jewish funeral, (laughs) apparently. (laughs) <laughs> you had all these <laughs> cars, and you cut to these old Jewish couple. They're like, "Oi, vey, what's going on?" <laughs> <laughs> we had the moment where, um, where Norm was shocked that we put dead people inside coffins. Yeah, yeah, he was disgusted by that. Uh, yet he didn't know that. He reacted like that was new information for a guy who digs underneath the ground. I thought he would have encountered this already. Uh, maybe he's never opened a coffin. Yeah, but I guess you got me, okay? The film's lore makes sense now. I take back any criticism I had of it. I thought you actually made a pretty good point. I didn't want to shut you down that hard. <laughs> you shut it down. Shut it down, baby. Um, Okay, let's talk about the what-the-fuck moments. I've already mentioned a couple, but what are some of the highlights for you? <laughs> um, I've, I've already mentioned a few times, but that, that beach scene where it was just this, like, okay, so who is this film made for kind of moment of, like... Because mm. nothing really happens in that well, what's scene. What's the setup for this? So, so it's roughly at the point where Gnorm is all right with sticking by Anthony Michael Hall's side. Like, he's not handcuffed anymore. He's going to stick around, and they're going to resolve the plot of the film together. Um, and they've gone to a beach to try and find... Um, act as Zadar to, to Reggie to to follow up on a lead. Um, and as they're going to leave the scene, uh, Gnorm does his magical little yawning that makes people want to fall asleep to, to Anthony Michael Hall. And this, this is so that he can fulfill uh, the desire he has at the moment, which is to put on sunglasses 
and walk to the right of a frame that is following him mm-hmm. while people in the background respond to him and the song in the background is like, oh, my friends, don't oh, be yeah, yeah. They got a real song in the movie. That was weird too. <laughs> yeah. So so he's he's walking, he's being cool, but he's not like showing off or anything. He's yeah. He's kind of out of the... Kids are pointing the... at him and saying, look at that, mom. And the mom's like, it's hideous. I just want to really highlight, I can't remember that song's name, but did it throw you for a loop that when they played that, it reminded you that there's been no pop songs in the movie until that exact moment? It's pretty crazy, right? Or at least none that, that I is, can that remember. That's a good point. Well, yeah, was there an opening credits song? No, there mm-hmm. wasn't. It was just a scene in the underground darkness. Usually, like, you know, normal kind of orchestral, whatever theme that the movies uses, but, like, it didn't have any, like, pop songs until that moment, and you're like, what the fuck? Where did this come yeah, from? Yeah, and then after that, it used it, like, once or twice more. Well, they, um, they bought yeah, the so rights just... to it so they could use it, so they're going to fucking use that song, but because like, they bought the license to it, so they're going to play it <laughs> in its entirety a few more times, so fuck you, look, that's the only the song you're going to get, and you're going to get it three or four times, so fuck off, that's yeah, the song I, you're going to get. Look, I would have done the same, yeah, If I, I'm not a rich guy, if I had a song right, I'd use it. Um, yeah, so he's he doesn't really have a purpose in that scene, he's not trying to show off, he's not trying to impress someone, he's just walking and existing. And then you have this, like, kind of sentimental, like, looking at the ocean sunset moment, and then he's just back in the car. I thought <laughs> he was like, on his Whoa. way to encounter- I thought he was on his way to confront Zadar, Robert Zadar, because yeah. he put Anthony and Michael Hall to sleep. We keep cutting back to Robert Zadar <laughs> lifting weights and stuff at the beach, and you're thinking, oh, okay, these two are gonna encounter one another, but then it doesn't, because they need the scene in which Robert Zadar thinks it's a small child- that then he, you know, you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So they on purposely, oh yeah, oh, nerf the scene with at the beach so that yeah, they can have that, this other scene that makes sense. Yeah, and you had the, and I, for, I completely forgot about this until just now. But the fake out with the gun. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where he wakes Anthony Michael Hall up with the gun. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh shit, Zadar's found uh, Robert Zadar's found him, but no, it's well, just Norm. Did you fall for that? Because the the hand holding the gun was clearly a puppet hand. That's why I didn't fall for that. I, I didn't quite notice that. No, no. You, see, I'm more of an observant viewer when it comes to these things. I'm always looking if there's puppet hands or human hands. Okay, we, we've got to talk about the... We, we've danced around it. We've got to talk about the stripping scene. What the fuck mm-hmm. was that? What the fuck was that? Please, please well, tell me what you thought about it and what it is. Why is it there? What well, the fuck? There's there's one bit of context we have to give about the plot of this film. Um, Norm's motivation in this film is that he wants to take this special little ball orb thing up to the upworld, which is our surface world, and uh, have it absorb sunlight so that he can become a worthy warrior-class gnome. Um, and obviously a big part of this film is the fact that the villains have this orb, um, because they took it from Anthony Michael Hall, who picked it up, and so Norm's main motivation is, hey, I'll help you solve this you know, police thing, but I need to get that ball back. That's what I'm in this for. And in this particular strip club scene... The person who currently has the orb, who isn't very far away from our main characters, is running away. Have I got that right so far? Well, what I meant by strip scene is I meant when the police have captured Norm and they decide, let's strip him of all of his clothes. (laughs) That scene is what I meant. Right, the the, the follow-up to the strip scene. But but before we actually get to that, you raised an interesting point. Which is, Norm has motivations, but what you said is far more, far more charitable of a motivation. His real motivation is, he wants pussy, and to get pussy, he needs this ball. And that's his motives. Yeah. (laughs) Noble, some may say. We don't even get to see this female gnome, because they could not make the puppet, probably. Could you imagine how hideous this female gnome would be? They have like long well, we've hair. only got one known puppet in this film. <laughs> we've only got one known puppet in this film, and we can't even see him doing the special thing he does where he turns into Diglett and like digs into the ground and <laughs> you know goes around. 
Dicklin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 I hated Norm as well. I just want to get that off my chest. I fucking hated this guy. Oh, 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 and he's fucking voiced by Rob Paulson as well. Fucking hell, right? He's voiced by one of the big voice actors in the fucking industry too. Pinky from Pinky in the Brain. Jesus Christ. It said that multiple people played him. Did that just mean the puppeteers? The puppeteers and the and the right. little people inside of it. But he, Rob Paulson, was a voice. So mm-hmm. there you go. He 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 got to be the guy who's who got to do the voice work and annoy the fuck out of me. So that was something. Let's talk about how the police capture Norm because of mm-hmm. reasons. That's a thing. Why the fuck do they even capture him? Why does Jerry Orbuck even care? About this guy? Just let him go. Because, Ryan, did you not hear Anthony Michael Hall's speech? When humans naturally find something as weird as Norm, they just have to experiment and find out about him. But that's not what Jerry Orbach doesn't give a shit about that. He just wants the money. (laughs) Well, he does, yes. But the rest of the police who are trying to, like, inject him and look at his dick and stuff. But but he's the reason that Norm gets arrested, and he makes a big deal. Take that thing in. And he has a whole thing about freaks. And he has that line where the guy's like, should we get him a lawyer? What does he need a lawyer for? He's a freak. (laughs) Which is a great thing. I want that on my tombstone. What did he need a lawyer for? He's a freak. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm sure that would hold up in court. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure your wife would love to share a, you know, a grave with you with that. <laughs> In my mausoleum. So, yeah, I, Jerry Orbuck and Claudia Christian and, and the, the other cop guy, they were like one type of movie, but it wasn't this movie. You know what I'm talking about? Like, they were in like a completely different film. And then this film came along and said, no, no, you're in this type of movie now. And yeah, seeing the, Jerry the... Orbuck threaten a puppet, but he's acting like it's real, <laughs> was very, very amusing. And seeing him be like, take him away, boys. And then the sleazy cop guy in the office with the Polish last name being like, now let's strip him. Strip him. And he kept saying it like that. Why did he keep saying it like that? Did he want to see his little dick? <laughs> that, that cop, seriously, like you just said, they were all in another film. This guy is in like, he's in many other films with trying to be many different characters. Like he's trying to be the bully character, the, you know, the, 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 the falling yeah. down like dickhead. He's, he's trying in to, Starsky and Hutch. Like, yeah, he's he, in he so also many wants, movies. yeah, he also wants to like, bring down the main character and mm. like disgrace him and it's it's just like he wants to get the girl like yeah he wants to get the girl and he's also the dumb guy who'll fall for weight here yeah it's- yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also he's the guy who's like strip him strip him of his clothes this is like one of the weirdest things right because mm-hmm. you, you, we all make jokes about like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if in one of these kids' movies with puppets, the puppets got their dick out or something or rather, right? Like, isn't that the whole fucking plot of um that 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 uh I can't remember what it was called. It was like I, the the murders, the, the happy time murders. Yeah, right? yeah, that's what that's I was like, thinking. The whole pitch of it is like, what if Sesame Street and the Muppets got sexy and gross? And that's what Crank Yankers did too, and so many other things. And Avenue Q. Rarely do you actually ever see one of these actual proper things that are made for children do that. And then this film does that. I mean, we don't see his dick, but we see his balls from behind and we see his butt cheeks, his ass. What did you think of that moment when it happened? It was, again, it was just one of those things of like, oh, yep, they're doing this, you know, kind of gross outy, immature thing because it's a gag. But they're they're framing it as like oh they're experimenting on him so <laughs> yeah I don't I don't know they and again they they tried doing like an erection joke but they didn't really have a visual thing it was just all kind of reactions uh, well that was the visual thing the reaction from Claudia Christian being like oh that, that but was... look we needed the sound effect like whoop like a kind of raising sound effect well we needed the voice actor to be like. Whatever made up word they used for penis they he needed to go like. You know, whatever word. Let's let's make up a word. My my gingong. 
right? My gingong has gone hard. Like, that's what he needed mm. to say. Right? Yeah, you're starting to sound a bit racist. <laughs> he was racist. <laughs> oh, he kept calling, what was, what was the word for breasts? He kept saying it. It sounded like some indigenous word. It was very weird. It was, I it was, like... something, it was something that sounded like hoo-hahs. There was like some double Paw-paws O's. Paws or whatever they were. <laughs> I was like, stop saying that. <laughs> Here's something too, you know, not to objectify Claudia Christian. She's a very attractive lady. I like her very much. But there was this one scene where where he was looking at her ass, and the shot was like this very unflattering shot where she has like the flattest ass, and he was reacting like, "Oh!" And I'm like, "There's nothing there, you well, fucking idiot." Ryan, you've forgotten something. He's good size, but they're large. They're Make giant. her toes toes curl. Slug lips. <laughs> That's the end of the movie. That's the end of the movie. And zoom in. And zoom in. <laughs> I... Zoom in when on the they toes. showed his butt cheeks, and you saw that they they also made testicles so that you could see it between his legs. I thought of I thought of I thought of Tommy Wiseau. I thought of Neil Breen. <laughs> I thought this is the puppet version of those fucking freaks, and I wanted to die. When I saw that, this is the same movie where, like, a few scenes earlier, they killed Robert Zadar by putting a metal hook into his anus. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> of course they put this in here. Who's this for? Who's this for, Bartek? Do you know? If you watched this as a kid, what would you have thought of it, do you think? Ah, uh, that's a good question. Um, Like, your mum leaves you to sit down and she's like, okay, Bartek, bye-bye, now you go watch a Gnorm named Gnorm. <laughs> Yeah, well, if this was before I was in school, then I'd probably be struggling with the language. So Dude, maybe... I, I speak the language. I was struggling. <laughs> yeah, but I'd be, I'd be actively learning from it, though. <laughs> Could you imagine if this is how you learned English? This is the film where you come in in the podcast and say, my history with this film, Ryan, is that it taught me English. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then when I go to work, they'll give me a biology class and I'd just... Talking about, like, oh, the, the hoo-hahs and stuff. Well, you see, in the up world, you guys. <laughs> oh, okay. Another moment that I, I loved to bits. I thought this was great. I was like, what what fucking film are we in again? I was like, where, where did we go? Where did the car drive off to? Because, again, this should be simple. This should be a simple cop buddy film we have a little creature guy who's like look at me i'm cute but he's like this freaky ugly thing he's digging around and all of that but we don't see it digging around i i lost my shit when jerry orbuck is (laughs) is just one-on-one talking with him and letting him know his plan why does this fucking creature need to know his plan why is he telling him this? Like the creature doesn't have any investment in this plan of his, <laughs> he but he's telling it because we, the audience, need to fucking know why he's evil. <laughs> well, we know he's evil because he kept dissing that one police officer who was trying to say, "Hey, look, Diglett's messing around on the ground." Yeah, 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 yeah. I also liked with the Jerry Orbach scene where he's about to shoot Gnorm and then they storm in and he puts it back down. It's like, why are you trying to build serious tension here in the same movie? In which Gnorm is, like, trying to grope women's breasts and shit. Like, I don't... I don't know what the movie wanted me to feel. Like, does this want to be a serious, gritty cop thing? Does this want to be, like, a goofy thing? Does this want to be, like, a fantasy thing? Does this want to be, like, an adult cop? I don't know. Does this want to be a kid's film? I don't know. But I love that it tried to be all of it all at once. And Jerry Orbach delivering a grade-A performance, as he usually did. And he was my favorite aspect because I kept thinking, what was he thinking when he was doing this? Was he thinking that this was going to be a good project? Or was he thinking, my career is dead? I wanted them, I want to be inside of his brain when he was doing those scenes. That's what I kept thinking about. He was thinking this is the next Godfather. This is another paycheck. That's what he was thinking. <laughs> Real thing. The film is so poorly established to me because of the darkness at the beginning, the visualness that I lost track. Halfway through the movie, I saw Jerry Orbach and I went, hey, is he wearing a hearing aid? Huh. And no joke, I paused the movie... And I looked up Jerry Orbach to be like, is he wear, does he wear a hearing aid in most things? Because I was thinking, it's weird that this movie, because it's how poorly 
poorly done the opening act is engaging me. I, I said to myself, surely they would have mentioned that he wears a hearing aid at some point. They wouldn't just have the chief of police have a hearing aid and not mention it. Maybe the actor wears a hearing aid. That's that's how great this film is. I had to do some extra research. And then the film's like, no, 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 the plot devices, the screaming sound was his hearing aid. I'm like, oh, okay. All right, I'll take your word for it, film. You got me. <laughs> like, they got you. It got me. It got me. It got, got he. Um, <laughs> any other highlight moments or anything else you want to talk about with this? Um... I know it's tough to narrow yeah, it down. I don't down. know. I mean, it it does a lot of you know cliches. Like when we we have all the scenes with Anthony Michael Hall where he's trying to talk to uh, Officer Samantha, whatever her name is, um, Ivanova how, from Babylon Five. Yeah, Ivanova from Babylon Five about how um, you know I've got this witness. He's a small guy, and like every time she tries to look, he's not there, and it's just this thing of like, oh, every single time Anthony Michael tries to explain, he always says it in a you know way that makes him sound crazy, and it just feels so you know written and like specifically to make him sound like that when there's so many things going through my head, being like, explain it this way, it'd make you sound a little less crazy, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was there one was, of those like little frustrating experiences. There was one frustrating thing. They literally had a Chekhov's gun and they didn't use it. Mm. Do you know what I'm talking about here? Where at the beginning they set up Anthony Michael Hall and his gun. Yeah. And then at the end, Jerry Orbuck is like, ha ha ha. Oh, the- I think I yes, I think I was thinking the exact same thing. Ha ha ha. I've won yeah. up to you. I'm gonna kill you with your own gun. And you being the viewer, you're like, oh, I remember that at the beginning they said he never loads his gun anyway. But Jerry yeah. Orbach wouldn't know that because Jerry Orbach thinks that he would. And then you would have Jerry Orbach tries to shoot and it doesn't work. And he's like, what the fuck? And then they get to jump on him. But instead, he's like, I'm going to kill you with your own gun. And then Claudia Christian comes in and just smacks him in the back of the head. Only for <laughs> him to fall down, her talk, and then him to get back up again, smack her down, smack Anthony Michael Hall down, just so that Gnorm can come in and beat the fuck out of Jerry Orbach. <laughs> I'm like, what was that? What was that? Did that annoy you too? Did it, I misunderstand it, the setup? It threw me off, yeah. I don't know, does she have a line in response to that? It's like, why do I always have to smack you on the back of the head? Like, maybe that would have no. made it a bit more, no. made more sense, but no. No. It was no, I know it doesn't. poor, poor, poor payoffs. No payoffs. Better than, uh, fucking hell. Like, I think that's it. I think that's like my, my um, like, final major note. Oh, did anyone in this film of our main players... Mm-hmm. come out of this film unscathed from the embarrassment to you? Like, was there any character that you went, huh, they managed to survive the cringe or awkward or embarrassing moments? Was there anyone? In, in terms of the characters? Yeah, yeah, or actors. <laughs> like, because I was thinking, like, I wrote in my notes, huh, you know what? I was expecting them to do a lot worse with Claudia Christian's character. Like, I thought they were going to do... And then the final, like, ten minutes of the movie was like, Oh, Ryan, you fucking idiot. You thought she was going to be a strong, independent woman? No, she's going to become the sex object at the end. I'm like, oh, okay. Nobody comes out unscathed then. Because she was, like, literally the one I had. I was like, oh, you know what? She's not as embarrassing in this. But then... Then they just degraded her at the end. I was like, oh, Okay. All right, that that was it. But I was wondering if you had that in your mind at all or if you wanted to think about it because it's one of those things that I think about with these movies, right? Where mm-hmm. you're thinking, when they fail on this level, it's usually like everyone is a casualty. But every now and then you have somewhere there's like someone whose character or performance comes across unscathed from the, the terribleness of the project. Like, when we did Tango and Cash, we had a few people that we mentioned that came out relatively okay, like Clint Howard. But mm-hmm. in this, I don't think anyone did. I, don't I think, think did. I think Rob Paulson slept like a baby because he wasn't physically in it. <laughs> no, no, but but I know he was the voice of Gnorm, which is the biggest offense. <laughs> yeah, Where's but it's also that the safest in his one. acting highlights reel? Where's that in his show reel? <laughs> I haven't looked it up. It Rob? might be. If I go to a convention and you're there, I'm asking you Gnorm questions all the time. That's all I'm <laughs> going to be asking. They're going to have to drag me from that fucking microphone because all I'll be, I'll hog it and be like, Gnorm, Gnorm, Gnorm. 
Do you he, remember that? He's going to be like, look, I just want to talk about my cameo and demo reel. No, we're talking about Gnorm, you fuck. <laughs> and then you say, oh, sorry, it's also known as Upworld. And he's like, oh, that film. Oh, that's my favorite film. So when <laughs> I was a young voice actor at the height of my career, I did that film for some reason. Because Stan Winston's a good friend. That's probably why. Robert Zadar was in it. He was in my favorite film, Tango and Cash. Yeah, and Sam- Samurai Cop actually was his favorite film. <laughs> well, that was a few years later. Yeah, you're right, you're right, you got me. But it was filmed in the 80s. No, uh, Pumpkinhead led to this, and this led to uh, Samurai Cop. Yeah, I will leave on this note of... I would be remiss if I didn't mention it, but the dickhead cop guy... I kept looking at him like, who is this guy? I know this guy, I know this guy. And I mm-hmm. looked him up, and he's in, he's in a ton of stuff. At the moment, he was in Preacher... Uh, as God, which, hey, good for him, he got to play God. But I know him from a singular episode of Star Trek Voyager, and it's a really good episode, Counterpoint, in which uh, Janeway is uh, kind of a really uh, interesting dynamic with his character. It's like a romantic uh, episode, but it's also a hostile episode. Like, he's a he's pretty much like a, he's an antagonistic figure who's taken over the ship. But him and Janeway kind of like each other on an intellectual level and like a kind of romantic level, but he's a bad guy. And mm-hmm. it's uh, that actress, uh, uh, Kate Mulgrew's favorite episode of uh, of Voyager. And she talks very highly about what a great actor he is. And he is really great in that episode. And I was looking at him, had him in this, being like, I've seen you not be a goofy dickhead in something. And it was Voyager. So I just want to mention that, that... Mm-hmm. We also know that with projects like this, with Hollywood people, it is good to note that we know that all of these people can act. So it is just a matter of the script and the production behind the scenes letting them down. Because at the end of it, uh, all I can say is confidently that I think Jerry Orbach is the one who shows himself to be the strongest actor in no matter what material, because I thought he was genuinely good in this. Not just in an ironic sense, I thought... He was a genuinely good performance in this. Don't know if you felt the same. No, I can agree to that. He definitely, bo- I definitely bought him as like a police chief. Yeah, and a villainous one too. Mm. I was even kind of a little bit surprised when he turned out to be the villain. If I'm honest, yeah. Yeah, he killed uh, the real Zadar. Yeah, not not the real life Zadar. No, he, the, that the real guy died Zadar in, in a different film. way. Yeah. Yes, we haven't talked much about, but sure. <laughs> Oh, the villains that are? Well, he wasn't that interesting, if I'm honest. Yeah. He was just a guy with accent. Yeah, and, and the names that are. Which is just such a bizarre choice. Um, <laughs> It also was a bizarre choice that the captain's name was Stan Walston, and the director's name is Stan Winston. Yeah, the the name thing threw me off as well. <laughs> At the beginning of this episode, when you asked me if I remembered what the director's name was, I was literally, like, you know, kind of taken aback because I didn't want to accidentally say the captain's name. It's so weird. It's like this, this film's filled to the brim with all of these weird little things. And it's like, the name thing, who was that pleasing? Like, was it ple- this pleasing Stan Winston to call... The other guy, Zadar, and it was pleasing Stan Winston that the captain's name sounded almost like his, because to an audience who is familiar with these people making the film and in it, it is very distracting. It is very distracting. Even though, like, for you, Bartek, if it wasn't for Tenko and Cash, you wouldn't know that Robert Zadar was not playing a character called Zadar. So, you know, in a way, Tenko and Cash ruined this film for you on another level. Yeah, that's true. It, it would have been like if um if the rival cop guy was named like Danthony Bichel Ball or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I think that's all we have to say about Upworld and a gnome named Gnorm, or a gnome named Gnorm. The film ends like every great film does, with a freeze frame and a zoom in on a creature that giving a <laughs> thumbs up to a guy sexually molesting a woman. Great. I mean, it's fine. She wanted it, evidently. It made her toes curl, slug lips. <laughs> um, so do we recommend the film? Of course. I recommend it 110%. It's boring in parts, 
and aggravating, but then it will will punch you with something and be like, okay, I didn't (laughs) expect that. You got me. And it's worth it for that amusement alone. Yeah, yeah. I think it's weird enough to at least check out. Yeah, yeah. Well, Bartek, are you going to recommend us a movie that's worth checking out for the next episode? Yes, it's time for me to recommend a film for next week. And I'm going to continue the trend that we've been going on of doing films who have directors that we've covered in the past. Um, We had that, you know, with Brick and then with your film Drive and then this one with uh, Stan Winston. Winston. Stan Winston, not Sam. And similar to the episode that you did with uh, that we did on Drive, that was very much a case of uh, me coming back to a film from a previous director I wasn't too into, um, but it was one that you said, you know, this one's better suited for you, so maybe you'll like it a bit more. Um, Mm. And that's kind of what I'm going for with my recommendation. The director is Farah Khan, who previously did Main Huna, if you remember that one. A classic, a classic, of course I remember that, classic film. (laughs) Uh, This next film that she did is a 2007 film called Om Shanti Om, and it also stars the main actor Shahrukh Khan. And yeah, that's that's the film for next week. It's from 2007, it's on Netflix, so you can easily access it. Um, But one thing that I would say about the Netflix copy is do not read the description of the film. Because for some reason it just took... <laughs> no, I think that one's called Zero. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'll go in blind like a baby. I'll or at least just don't read the Netflix one, because it just talks about the second half. It's like, oh, that's a spoiler. <laughs> oh, that's a weird thing to do. How long is this one? I think it's around the same as Main Hunna. So 15 hours, okay. <laughs> <laughs> 16, come on, be fair. <laughs> okay, it's, it's a Bollywood film, that's just the first <laughs> half. Yeah, but I, I genuinely think, like, you've had some complaints in the two previous Bollywood films that I've recommended. I think this one does address some from both of those episodes, so hopefully it'll be a good one for you. It better have a lot of dancing. It does. <laughs> Fuck yes. Okay. And it, lo- it, it looks a lot better than Main Huna as well. <laughs> okay, so that's it, people. We are going to be finishing up this episode before our internet breaks apart and we are unable to record together any further because this is this is what it's like to record sessions during the lockdown. Bartek, a pleasure as always talking films with you, even when the world is falling apart. Our upworld is in fact going down. Yeah, yeah. The parts where we actually did talk about the film were a pleasure. <laughs>